Please hold for Armchair Adventurer. That's not the kind of podcast we are. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. All right. So, Dan, oh. it was your idea. What are we talking about today? Uh, this is pretty unorthodox, but I'll take it. Well, <laughs> before we get into that, I want to say... I, I, <laughs> oh, I uh, just want right, to say... So you well, came. well, welcome to the new season, listeners. No. No? No. Not technically. I mean, maybe we should clap again. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Here, wh- why don't I take over for a second? Okay. <laughs> um, we try. have not yet started due to various circumstances involving my work schedule and others' work schedules. We have postponed yet again the change in format, but we have decided on what we are doing, and I think we're okay to tease it now. What do you say? Yeah, I think so. We are doing a multi-part series on the great American tycoons, your Rockefellers, your Vanderbilts, your Carnegies, your any Bezos. other big ones. Bezos. No. <laughs> not touching not. Bezos. Close, but no. Bezos didn't build the world's largest, uh, or excuse me, the United States' largest house, so he's not on the list. Yeah, until he, and he is small potatoes until he manages to do that. Until he builds an estate. Uh, but I, for one, am pretty excited about it. I think we... I think I'll actually be very excited to do the research. And I think we can make these some powerhouse episodes. I agree. Personally. Um, We are not actually going to say outright, even though you've already seen the title of this episode, we are not outright going to say what we're talking about. But Greg, why don't you give us a little tease? All right. So the first thing you'll be hearing here is not in my own voice. Uh, The first thing you'll be hearing here is in the voice of the Chuchan of the Shandyagir tribe, as recorded by I.M. Suslov in 1926. We had a hut by the river with my brother Chekaren. We were sleeping. Suddenly, we both woke up at the same time. Somebody shoved us. We heard whistling and felt strong wind. Chekaren said, Can you all hear the birds flying overhead? We were both in the hut, couldn't see what was going on outside. Suddenly, I got shoved again. This time so hard, I fell into the fire. I got scared. <laughs> Chekaren got scared, too. We started crying out for father, mother, brother, but no one answered. There was noise beyond the hut. We could hear trees falling down. Chekaren and I got out of our sleeping bags and wanted to run out, but then the thunder struck. This was the first thunder. The earth then began to move and rock. The wind hit our hut and knocked it over. My body was pushed down by sticks, but my head was in the clear. Then I saw a wonder. Trees were falling. The branches were on fire. It became mighty bright. How can I say this? As if there was a second sun. My eyes were hurting. I even closed them. It was like what the Russians call lightning. And immediately... There was a loud thunderclap. This was the second thunder. The morning was sunny. There were no clouds. Our sun was shining brightly as usual. And suddenly, there became a second one. Oh, nice. Chekaren and I had some difficulty getting out from under the remains of our hut. Then we saw that above, but in a different place, there was another flash. 
and loud thunder came. This was the third thunder strike. Wind came again, knocked us off our feet, struck the fallen trees. We looked at the fallen trees, watched the treetops get snapped off, watched the fires. Suddenly, Chekaran yelled, Look up, and pointed with his hand. I looked there and saw another flash, and it made another thunder. But the noise was less than before. This was the fourth strike, like normal thunder. Now I remember well, there was also one more thunder strike, but it was small and somewhere far away where the sun goes to sleep. There is a certain profundity, and I hope I don't sound bad saying this, but whenever somebody has to describe something like awesome or like devastating in a language that is not their own, the ways that they do it always make it sound so insane. Couldn't agree more. Especially like that quote about what the Russians call thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's something that really struck me when I read that. Well, and for some reason, even though it's like a very bad scientific understanding, they're saying where the sun goes to sleep sounds like wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you get stuff like that when it's, it's translated. Yeah. Especially like you said these were like in, not just like European Russians who lived there. No. You said these were indigenous. These, like yeah, these were local right? tri- uh, tribal people from, from this area of Siberia, which yeah. we have not even ta- uh, talked about what we're talking about here. So I might as well get into that. So if it wasn't already apparent uh, to those listeners of ours who are more familiar with this story than others, we are talking about today an event that happened in the area of Siberia called Tunguska. So, I'm glad you pronounced it first, so now that I know how to pronounce it. It is, in, I was it, not sure. <laughs> it is in fact, Tunguska. So okay. uh, today we are talking about the Tunguska event, as it has been dubbed by Westerners, uh, which occurred on um, or what we would call uh, the 30th of June, 1908, which in, uh, in Russian... Um, I, not, not literature is not the right word. Uh, mag, uh, a different newspapers, etc. They were at the time using a different calendar than we yeah. do now. Uh, yeah, I read up on that. Yeah, basically, West, surprised me. The Western it's a world, Soviet thing. The Western world uses the Gregorian calendar um, as like a, that's our basis of uh, you know of time. Uh, but at the time, they were using uh, the Julian calendar, so, which right. would be uh, June thirtieth in their days. Or sorry, June 17th on their days, but June 30th in the Gregorian calendar. Um, Yeah, 12-day difference. Yep, and like 20 years later or so, they switched to the Soviet calendar, which is the same thing as the Gregorian calendar, which is what everybody else uses. Just claimed it. Yep, they just called it the Soviet calendar. So um, anyway. Hey, all the power to them. The event we are describing took place at about 7.17 a.m. local time. Um, And as before, uh, we mentioned that they were both uh, well, we were at least, we were reading some, or the, what I read, excuse me, was a, um, <laughs> a quote from a local Evenki tribe, uh, settler, but there were also Russian settlers in the area. And what they observed was a column of bluish light streaking across the sky that was nearly as bright as the sun. Um, after witnessing this blue streak across the sky, about 10 minutes later, there was a flash and a sound described as, uh, by some as gunfire and others as artillery fire, 
um, I assume based on um, their distance from what occurred. Eyewitnesses closer to the event reported that the source of the sound moved from the east to the north from their observation point. The sound was accompanied by a shock wave that damaged windows as far as hundreds of kilometers away and knocked some off the feet, their feet and uh, some a little bit more than that, but we will get into that later. If it wasn't already apparent, the event we are describing is best described as an explosion, and uh, the explosion we are describing uh, registered on or at seismic stations across Eurasia, and as far away as, from what I understand, at least, not necessarily seismic stations, but um, like the air blast waves were recorded as far west as Washington, D.C., and as far east as the Dutch East Indies, which is what is today Indonesia. But that the, is a good portion of all the way around the world. Correct. Yeah, that pretty close. Probably Just two, about, about two-thirds well, of the way, I would say. I know, <laughs> and it, it goes both ways. Obviously, it's a little... Well, I guess I don't even know. Uh, I don't want to think about this, but it was also picked up by... Uh, an observatory, or not like the waves, the effect in the in the atmosphere yeah, the was picked waves. up by observatories in California. So. Yep, Sick. yep, that's something I was going to mention a bit here. Sick. Um, the estimated shock wave, like locally, uh, was approximately 5.0 on what we call the Richter scale now. Um, but as I understand it, the Richter scale is not quite around at that point, and is around no longer. Is that true? Really. Yeah, really? they've what, what, actually Trevor Campbell tipped me off to this. Interesting. What, what I think they, they stopped using it decades ago. I don't remember. I think it's an acronym. Interesting. That that uh, does not surprise me, considering like we talked about tornadoes before on this podcast, and I know that like the Fujita scale was historically the way that we measure tornadoes, and I now I know that there's now the enhanced Fujita scale. So yeah, it does not surprise me. That there's a new model. For, I, uh, for I think I don't. I obviously don't want to stop to look this up. I think if I remember correctly, like news stations still use the Richter because it's like something people understand. Okay. But I think it's just kind of like a basic understanding of how waves propagate and everything. Like it doesn't fully encapsulate how those kind of waves move through the ground and everything. Gotcha. That's cool. So after the event, skies across Asia and Europe had uh, a bit of a strange glow for the next few days. Uh, this is thought to be due to light passing through ice particles suspended in the atmosphere, uh, which we later were able to reproduce with uh, space shuttles, interestingly enough. That blew my mind when I read that. Yeah. That ice particles would just be suspended for that long. So does it have to do with like light refracting through the yeah, ice, basically? Exactly. That is insane. I mean, it makes sense to me, considering like we've we talked about... Um, like uh, the year without a summer, and that was like just an enormous amount of particulate matter suspended within That's the true. atmosphere for like years later, and that like that caused like hazes during sunsets for like three years, and it does not surprise me that if there were a large amount of ice particles in the air, that you know a similar effect would happen. But and obviously ice particles are going to behave differently than dust particles. But and. And do note the ice particle portion, too, because that'll come back in heated discussion later. Yeah, I, I, I'm i not going to be covering that, but I, I do believe that that will be the case, I'm sure. I don't so. know if this is armchair science, but isn't the ice particles <laughs> causing that effect kind of like a, it's it's like a cycle? Because wouldn't that, it would cool it down, it would cool the air down, obviously, right? All the 
fracture, which would make the ice stick around longer, presumably. Presumably, yes. I, I can't speak to that, but or maybe not. Maybe you make it fall faster. Doesn't matter. Well, Carry on. Right? We'll have to leave it up to our uh, other podcast folks. Yeah, we'll uh, send it over to our colleagues yeah. down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Joe Rogan. We, uh, we yeah. have a, we have a couple of other testimonies here. Um, do you want to read them in whole? Testify. So we already read the testimony of uh, the Chuchan of the uh, Shawnee Gear Tribe from 1926. So logically, from here, that that's like that's the most profound to me, at least, uh, account of what happened in person. There are a couple of others. There's one that was recorded in 1930, and there are a couple of newspaper clippings from the early 1900s before that, uh, closer to when the event actually happened. Because, to clarify, if, if it wasn't clear already, the quote that I just read at the beginning of the episode was for, uh, was written down in 1926. But as mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the event we are talking about occurred in 1908, a full uh, 18 years before that quote was uh, put, put down in, into writing. So there are a handful of newspaper quotes uh, from much, much, much closer to the event um, that I would like to read. One is from the Siber newspaper from the 2nd of July, 1908. I don't know Russian, but I assume the Siber newspaper is probably the newspaper from Siberia at the time. I thought you were about to be like, I don't know Russian, but I'm going to try my best with this quote. (laughs) Uh, no, that'd be, that'd be a lot funnier, but no, I'm not going to try and read Russian. It's the quote from Siberia newspaper, from the 2nd of July, 1908. On the morning of 17th of June, around 9 a.m., we observed an unusual natural occurrence. In the North Karlensky village, 132 miles north of Kurensk, the peasants now saw to the northwest, rather high above the horizon, some strangely bright, impossible to look at, bluish-white heavenly body, which for ten minutes moved downwards. The body appeared to be a pipe, i.e. a cylinder. The sky was cloudless, only a small dark cloud was observed in the general direction of the bright body. It was hot and dry. As the body neared the ground, the forest, the bright body seemed to smudge, and then turned into a giant billow of black smoke, and then a loud knocking, not thunder, was heard, as if large stones were falling or artillery was fired. Sounds like how a Bob Ross painting comes together. <laughs> it started to smudge. It was a happy we, accident. I'm sorry, do we know what those subsequent cracks were? Because I have an idea, but it's premature to bring it up. Um, somewhat, but let me finish this Okay, quote. yeah, please. All buildings shook. At the same time, the cloud began emitting flames of uncertain shapes. All villagers were stricken with panic, stricken with panic, and took to the streets. Women cried, thinking it was the end of the world. The author of these lines was meantime in the forest about six versts, 6.4 kilometers, north of Kurensk, and heard to the north and east some kind of artillery barrage that repeated in intervals of 15 minutes at least 10 times. Kurensk, in a few buildings, in the walls facing northeast, window glass shook. I have another quote from Siberian Life newspaper from the 27th of July, 1908, later that month, as a single line here. When the meteorite fell, strong tremors in the ground were observed, and near the Lovat village of the Kansk, Uzed, 
Two strong explosions were heard, as if from large-caliber artillery. My final quote here will be from Krasnoyarsk newspaper from the 13th of July, 1908. Uh, so about midway through this month. The, the thing is that's confusing here is that all of these dates could be completely out of order based on which calendar they're <laughs> referring to. So I'm not, I'm not sure how this is working. But anyway, last quote here from a newspaper. This one's from Kezhemsko Village. On the 17th, an unusual atmospheric event was observed. At 7.43, the noise akin to a strong wind was heard. Immediately afterward, a horrific, horrific thump sounded, followed by an earthquake that literally shook the buildings as if they were hit by a large log or a heavy rock. The first thump was followed by a second, and then a third. Then the interval between the first and the third thumps was accompanied by an unusual underground rattle, similar to a railway upon which dozens of trains are sat traveling at the same time. Afterward, for five to six minutes, an exact likeness of artillery fire was heard. Fifty to sixty salvos in short, equal intervals, which got progressively weaker. After one and a half to two minutes, after one of the barrages, six more thumps were heard, like cannon firing, but individual, loud, and accompanied by tremors. The sky, at the first sight, appeared to be clear. There was no wind and no clouds. Upon closer inspection to the north, i.e. where most of the thumps were heard, a kind of an ashen cloud was seen near the horizon, which kept getting smaller and more transparent and possibly around 2 to 3 p.m. completely disappeared. The thing that sticks out for me the most is the what, like in- large in- number of boom sounds that mm-hmm. happened over a long period of time. Right. That confuses the hell out of me. What confuses me is the variation in the number of booms. And yeah. I think part of that has to do with the location of the people that were interviewed. Cause I imagine that if there were larger and smaller bangs that were heard, uh, the smaller ones would be heard obviously closer and the larger ones would be heard from further away. So the number of them may have varied based on the locations of the people interviewed. Um, you know, and obviously the closer you're, you're going to get to the explosions, the more accurate your perception of it may be. So, I've also got a confounding variable to add that would affect that. Don't want to spoil too much. Confounding variable. Chelsea and I have been trying to remember that term all night. Hey, I'm going to tell you, glad I said it, because like the 10 seconds leading up to that, I was thinking in my head, should I say confounding variable or X factor? (laughs) I made the right decision. (laughs) Say the one that's not a TV show. Yeah. um, (laughs) The... The, like, blast, uh, if you were to look at a map, I guess, of the blast of this, it is not a circle. It is not, it's only kind of close to a circle. So directionally where you are would kind of affect. more of an oval. Don't say it. It's my job. Okay. It's in my story. All right, science man. Sorry. (laughs) Take the science away from us, science man. Okay, actually, before I get into my part, I have a question, and Paul and Greg, you're both here, and... You know a hell of a lot more about Russia than I do. Okay. I heard you say a lot of city names, and I've seen a lot of city names that all end in NSK. What does that mean? I don't. It ends in like an Ensk or an Insk. Does that mean like city? I believe so, but I, okay. I mean, I can't speak to that from any kind of authority, you know. Okay, it's, but also, probably more so a, it's, it's probably more so a language thing. 
Well, I know, but like, I don't think it means. But consider also, there's a lot of like, grads. Would, there's like Stalingrad, say, like, Leningrad, Volgograd. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe a lot so of those you, came out during like the kind of Soviet era to kind of rename cities as like Lenin City, um, Stalin City, like that kind of stuff. That would almost assume Grad is city. That's a good point. So, Kane, you're asking, is it like T-O-N, like Charleston, Summerton? Kind of like that, yeah. That comes from, like, I town. I do see grad is an old Slavic word meaning town, city, castle, or fortified settlement. I'm, I'm looking into the endings of Russian town names, the meanings because and associations gotta, of city names. So, because you got to remember, you like, down this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a rabbit hole for sure. Because, like, you got to remember the ones that end in, like, Insk. Like, a lot of those are much older cities mm. than, like, the Leningrads, yeah. the Volgograds. Right. So it's and probably more of a language thing in the sense that maybe way back when that's just what it was before. Right, it could. I'm know, just saying that Cyrillic, could mean, like, I guess, maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's just a guess. I don't know for sure. Yeah, apparently okay, well, they tried to, like, de-Germanify a lot of the names of towns. For sure. Which is certainly interesting. And, and, and grads are very much a, an instance of that. And uh, apparently, yeah. apparently, like... I mean, Renaming cities has even been like a political thing. So, like, I'm reading a quote here. Like, since 1990, the question of renaming Stalingrad uh, was actually like a that was like a political thing. And, and uh, well, for sure, it's renamed to something else now. Is it? Uh, yeah, is it? Volgo, it's Volgograd. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Because that's not, that should be on the like the Volga River, I assume. On the Volga. Okay, so anyway, sorry, Greg. I'm gonna. Yeah, no, take it away, Kane. Take it from here. I'm kind of glad I was afraid that your section was going to include some of like what it looks like when they got to it. No, no, I uh, like I don't think any of the basically from what I understand. Um, and I won't wait. Get, I won't say too much, but what I'll say is that <laughs> yeah. many of the people around there, for one reason or another, hesitant to visit the first expedition. And it's unfair to even call it an expedition because it was really more of a scientific research scouting mission. And when was that game? So that was in 1921, you know, over a decade after. And it was led by a guy named Leonid Kulik. And he was a Russian mineralogist who studied at the Imperial Forestry Institute in St. Petersburg, who, after serving in the Russo-Japanese War and World War I, taught mineralogy, and then... Got a job just a year before the expedition where he was working at the Mineralogical Museum of St. Petersburg. Mm. So they thought he would be a prime candidate to go inspect the site. In this first expedition, they did not even visit the Central Blast area because once they got there, he heard local accounts of what happened and immediately was like, okay, it's a meteorite. We can get out of here. <laughs> um, he did want to come back, but you know they didn't have... They didn't have tools or anything. It was really just kind of a surveying thing. So he went back, and he proposed, let's go back there with stuff and to kind of sweeten the pot for the government. He was like, there's probably a lot of iron out there, a lot of free meteoritic iron that we can take. So they do end up getting funding for a second expedition. And this, the first of these was in 1927, and this was the first big one where they got to actually see it, the central area. And again, not much of an expedition because it was Kulik, his assistant, G.P. Gulick, 
<laughs> along with a team of Evenki hunters, and they made their way to the impact site. Can I uh, make a little brief aside here? Um, yes. Have any of you guys ever physically held uh, like meteorite material? No. It no, is never. absurdly dense. I actually, it's a real bummer that I, I don't have this for this episode because it would have been a good visual aid. Um, I actually have a, pe- uh, a fragment of a meteorite that fell in Russia, um, actually not too far from where this occurred. <laughs> yeah. Wait okay. a second. When did it fall, Greg? <laughs> uh, like 1990-something. It, okay. it was Yeah, it was obviously not related to this, but I, I do have a fragment of Russian meteorite that was given to me as a gift as a child. Um, and uh, it feels like you're, I mean, it obviously is a piece of you know, space matter, you know, but... yeah. It's. Does it just look like kind of globular metal? It, it yeah, it just looks like a little f- weird fragment, like like if you like took molten iron and just dropped it in a bucket of misshapen sand. Mm. You know okay, I mean? like it's just like it's just like it like it, like if you took, that works, yeah. If you took sand and like run your fingers through it a whole bunch and you just pour some molten iron on it. Does it does it kind of look like that guy who would pour molten metal in the ant hills? Kind of when you yeah. pull those out, yeah. Okay, it, it would look similar to that, but yeah, no. One of the one of the most interesting gifts I've ever been ever been given in my life, but pretty rare, I would say. No kidding, and mostly iron, so that explains the density. But like something that I did not appreciate the gravity of as a child, oh. as a child when I when I was given that as a gift, yeah. but I think it's very cool as an adult that I own something like that. So to their surprise, when they got there. There was no impact crater. Instead, there was an area roughly five miles across with scorched trees that were standing upright but had no branches or foliage. Just these, like, telephone poles, black telephone poles in a five-mile area. Outside that diameter, there were trees that were less burnt but had been completely knocked over. Uh, in the directions that you'd imagine a blast would cause. So still radially out from the side. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, Now, later findings would show that this field of damage was actually shaped more like a butterfly with a wingspan of about 43 miles and then a body length. So kind of there's like a cigar shape and then some hammerhead blasts out, I guess. (laughs) Uh, and the length of that kind of body was 34 miles, a total of 830 square miles of damaged area. Damn. And he noticed, uh, Kulik noticed a lot of small kind of depressions pockmarking the ground. He compared them to like lunar craters. And he thought they were like it had broken up and it was a bunch of small craters. But they didn't have any materials to, they were not prepared to dig. Uh, I guess they didn't think they'd need to. They thought they'd find a crater. So they end up going three more times over the following decade, all under uh, Kulik. And the first time they went back, turns out that these craters are actually bogs, Mm. which he thought might still have, he thought they maybe were bogs created by by the impact and decided that they should excavate one, which you do by draining it, which is not a very easy process to drain something on flat land, you know? Draining, yeah. a, draining a swamp, not an easy process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after draining one of these bogs, which, Greg, 
could you remind me, was there a name like Stoslav or something from your your little bit? Does that name stand out to you? You said it, but um, it, I don't know if you remember it offhand. Couldn't tell you off the top Surislav, of my head. Um, whatever. Yeah. They named, once, once they drained this, it was a crater, and they named the crater after him. But they found at the bottom tree parts, which to him was like, okay, this is not a meteorite because mm-hmm. these trees just fell into a bog. You know, this isn't something a meteor did. And fucking way to go, Kane. In the trees, in the bog, in the bog, in the tree. I've got, but the next point on my outline is remoteness of the area and size of the damage meant. Just stop typing. I don't know what the fuck I was supposed to say there. Now, because he was interested in uncovering the whole mystery, he did ask the Russian government to, I'm sorry, at this point it was the Soviet government, to get some aerial photographs, which they did, and they have the positive prints of those. But as I'm sure you can guess, pictures in the 20s did not look very good when you, as a negative, they would look perfectly fine because, you know, that's just what an image looks like. But then it was the pressing of these into positives that would make it look as bad as photos did back then. Mm. So they have the positive prints, but unfortunately, in the 70s, the Soviets had a big undertaking to rid the government stores of all of their nitrate film, because if you've seen *Inglorious Bastards, I'm sure you know it's incredibly flammable stuff. And they wanted to stop having stockpiles of it. And so the photo negatives of these aerial photographs, the only ones that they had, were, were burnt. So, so they just burned countless photo negatives without at all trying to like copy them hey not the first questionable decision the soviet union made (laughs) yeah that's true it is the 70s they got bigger fish to fry they had a whole lot of shit going on right then i don't think they were too concerned about this so kulik's stuff kind of dried up He, he did they didn't have really any sort of they didn't really have the science to take it any further than they did and so in the time between that and then the expeditions that ended up happening in the 50s and 60s, it just kind of sat in the scientific community. And there were some pretty weird ideas that people came up with that might cause it because people were a little befuddled about such a grand thing happening with no evidence of a crater or anything like that. So here's some of the, here's some of the, the key bizarre theories that people came up with. Some people thought it was actually a manter, matter-antimatter collision that just <laughs> annihilated. I don't know where that antimatter would have come from. I don't know. I guess they thought it came from space, but I don't, you know, I don't really know how that all works. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard the same one, so, yeah. Uh, some people thought it was an early nuclear test, but that's pretty early. I've heard... Um, I've, can, I, can I dig into that for a second? Yeah, go ahead. I've heard an even more obscure reference to that kind of idea. And that was that... Okay. Um, it was some sort of nuclear uh, I, b- I believe that this was um it was some sort of science fiction writer that came up with this idea um of course well i mean how else are you supposed to theorize about this kind of thing especially as a westerner because it, it was some sort of western yeah not um, science well uh basically that well th- this theory was like came up it was came up with after world war Two. so like the possibility of anything nuclear was fresh on people's If this minds. has anything to do with time travel, 
I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> doesn't have to do with time travel, but it does Not have good. to do with aliens. <laughs> Basically, That's the, where I thought you were going yeah, with it. No, uh, I have heard the idea that, um, that this is some sort of nu- nuclear detonation by aliens. Uh, most likely um, some kind of detonation that was intended to be on Moscow, but was... <laughs> slight, slightly deviant. Well, I don't know if. You, well, not necessarily Moscow. Actually, much, much, much less likely Moscow, and much more. I was say they're kind of a ways off, aren't they? Well, actually, further off. Um, it was, if I remember right, Saint Petersburg, uh, because at the time Saint Petersburg was where the Russian government resided, and uh, from what I understand, basically, if this. I mean, the leading theory that we have discussed so far has been meteors. If it was a meteor and it was traveling as fast as you might imagine a meteor to be traveling. uh, Quite fast. Again, I don't want to ruin anything later, but. Greg, you're spiraling. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Pull up, pull up. (laughs) Okay. Should I I just back off now? Cause yeah, just go, go to it. Okay. Right no, to it's all right. It. All right. Basically, if if the meteor that could have caused this had waited about four minutes, waited, it could have landed on Saint Petersburg. Oh, so the aliens oh. in this theory so, sent the meteorite. Correct, and and we're going and to we're going, the turning of the earth. We're going yeah. to we're going to drop it on Saint Petersburg, basically to smite the Russians. Uh, but but they but they dropped it four minutes early, which dropped it where it did on an uninhabited area I, and not on St. Petersburg, which would have probably killed about 1.3 million people based on the population of St. Petersburg in 1908. I, I know you said that was a that was a Western uh, science fiction artist. Correct. That came yes. Up with that, uh, but it was Orson Welles, if I remember right. Okay. That seems like a very almost like Russian exceptionalism thing that that aliens would care in any sense about Russia in 1908. <laughs> that that was yes. in any way a threat to the aliens. No, I, I I I doubt it had anything to do with a threat threat from aliens and more to do with just creative liberties. <laughs> Which and that they'd only have one of these puppies locked and loaded. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like we know. cannot miss. Damn it. Uh, the alien theory I have listed, because this was all, I saw this on a BBC article, Classic. that these were all theories from like the Russian scientific community at the time. And this alien theory is that a, a, their spaceship crashed. They were trying to get fresh water from Lake Baikal, <laughs> which is pretty close by, if I remember. We, and it's, Greg. It's not close. It's closer it's than Moscow. Close for aliens. For aliens, <laughs> yes, it's really close. I was going to say, on the scale of, yeah, there to Moscow, yeah, but it's like, it's seriously like five, six hundred miles away. And then, Greg, could you briefly tell us what's so special about Lake Baikal? Um, Baikal is, I bl- if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's, is it not the deepest lake in the world? It's it close. Is. It's, it's at least the deepest, like, is it an alpine lake? Because I, I know that it's, it's one of the deepest alpine lakes, if not... Anyway, I know it's like what fifteen hundred feet deep, something like that. Baikal is one of the as far as freshwater containment maximum goes, depth is over a mile. Oh, really, five thousand three hundred eighty-seven. Because I mean, like it's it's a rift lake. It's like where two two plates are like hitting each other, and that's the right. reason it's so deep. Um, no wonder they wanted to drink from it. Yeah, yeah. Baikal is like an immensely 
It's like the Iowa 80 gas station of the galaxy. <laughs> Everybody's got to make a stop at Lake Buckingham. I mean, it's, it's, the... it's, it's an absurd amount of water that is stored within that lake. It's not it's not geographically huge, but it's it's basically the size. It's, it's about the size of a Great Lake, you know. But it's many but many many times yeah. deeper. Yeah, <laughs> but down. It do go down. It do. In 1973, <laughs> this was pretty quickly shot down, but in 1973, there was a Russian scientific paper published in a reputable journal called Nature that suggested that a black hole had collided with the Earth to cause the explosion. I've also heard that same theory. <clears throat> now, in the 50s and 60s, and this is, this is the last they kind of looked at it before the modern era, and if you can pick up, we're in the 50s and 60s, something kind of took over the the brain power of the yeah. Soviet Union, I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> Good thought. But uh, these were not led by Leonid Kulik, but they did go to inspect the bogs, see if they could figure anything else about the bogs he found, and they did. The bogs near the bottom had particulate chunks of silicate and magnetite, both very common in meteorites. And further chemical analysis of those bits showed higher than normal amounts of nickel, especially in comparison to how much iron there was, which basically confirmed its extraterrestrial origin because that is true of almost every meteorite. And in the 80s, they did find out that these exact same materials and particulates were in the trees that had been knocked down. They didn't have a good way to analyze the, the tree bark and such at the time. But then in the 80s, they did find all of the same stuff. <clears throat> while, we're on oh, the, while we're on the topic of... Sorry, go ahead, Ken. No, it's all right. got to try to remember if there's something else I wanted to say before I hand it over. Go ahead. Okay, well, while we're talking about Leonid Kulik, um, I did want to mention uh, that this man died for his country in um, a noble cause. So he did, he did um, go to this, uh, the area of the Tunguska event and did quite a bit of research. Um, but, you know, that was all in, like, you know, the late 1920s. It was, like, I believe 1927 was his final expedition. Is that correct, Dave? Yes. Okay. Well, um, he unfortunately died in 1942 at the age of 58 um, after serving in a paramilitary militia. Uh, he was captured by the German army and ended up dying in a prisoner of war camp due to typhus. So, died fighting the Nazis. Fighting the good <laughs> fight. Hey, Paul, you're going to hear your favorite song uh, if you listen back to this episode right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Good. laughs> Love that. Excellent. I could not think of what I wanted to say. So, before Paul tells us what modern science has to say about the Tunguska event... I am going to say, just as a, a, to my fellow hosts, might see what happens if I go a little heavy on the seltzers tonight. So let's see what this draft turns out like. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, brother. Well, you know so what? Paul. I am, I am so prepared for this draft. Greg's already drunk, which is great. Greg's already <laughs> hammered. Well, I, you know it's you know, the funniest part about that is that I only had two drinks. There's abnormally heavy. Thanks to the uh, what company? Let's give a free ad. You about to give a free ad. Free ads. Well, I guess oh. the brand is called Hempty. He can't even. He's so drunk he can't even read. <laughs> I'm, I'm not drunk. Freds. Well, you know what? Uh, the only thing I've been slurring 
I'll say is Russian place names and people names. And you know what? I'd slur those no matter how sober I was. So, hey, if it's any consolation, I had to type expedition several, several times in my notes. I think I spelled it wrong initially every single time I typed it. I fucked it up. Oh, well. So be it. Palooch. Palooch. There. So, going into some further research um, that they did starting kind of the 50s and 60s, and then even up till today in 2020, they did research on this still try to debunk or uh, impose new theories. But um, what they say is that they do believe it was an airburst uh, of an asteroid or a comet, which we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> it, a heated discussion on that. That's why I mentioned earlier. I agree um, on that. But so they say airburst about um, 6 to 10 kilometers, or which is 4 to 6 miles above the Earth's surface. So that's no close thing. Um, but question for you guys, meteor, uh, meteoroids, yeah. um, how fast do you think they go when they're entering the Earth's atmosphere? Um, so 400 miles per hour. Much faster than that. Um, much faster. Yeah, so I got to do some math, but yeah, much faster. I, I know roughly what you're getting at based on my research. Um, mm-hmm. What is it? Something like seven, eight miles a second? Yes, seven yeah. miles a second. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, that's. Do, what I thought. Are you gonna do per hour? What, what's that? Oh, seven well, times, times sixty. Six. So eight. Yeah. Uh, well, times sixty twice. Six hundred and thirty. Then times. I hate, 60. I hate mental math. Um, Thirty-six thousand. Oh, I, I, I was gonna throw away hour. a calculator today because who needs a calculator? <laughs> but here we are. Got that good old TI eighty-four. So excellent. It, yeah, you know, exactly. I could pull up a calculator, but that is you're physically doing that, so that's obviously better. <laughs> Kids these days will never know. So it is. Yeah, it's twenty-five thousand two hundred miles per hour. Oh my god! Why okay. did I guess four <laughs> hundred? So that is one fast car. Uh, that's about five times space. fast. That's about five times faster than I've ever been on a bike, dude. <laughs> um, yeah. Airburst around four to six miles above the surface of the Earth. Um, they say early on, they say the energy of the airburst was roughly either ten to fifteen megatons or up to thirty megatons of TNT. Now, how does that com- coming back that- to? I was going to say, how does that compare to like the? blast during world war ii yep you're gonna have to let me finish the sentence here greg so (laughs) (laughs) compared to the czar bomba do you guys remember in our past episodes how many megatons the czar bomba was i i do not 50 60 right so close to the 60 it was 58 megatons so um this thing in comparison is a lot closer to, um, we didn't talk about it last time, but I don't believe so, but the Castle Bravo nuclear test that the United States did um, in 1954 was roughly around 30 megatons. But um, even in, I think, the latest study in 2019, they did kind of confirm that it was around 20 to 30 megatons. So, Do we know how high in the air where the like air burst you said it was called an air burst yes do we know how high in the air it was yes so four to six miles oh whoa above the surface of the earth way up there so yeah so that i mean 
and also this is all relative too. Um, and they do a lot of this comparison and scaling too. There's a reason why they did a lot of this in the 50s and 60s, because that is also when they're doing a lot of these nuclear tests. <laughs> so they use that same scaling because it's actually comparable. Um, and that's probably why those theories of like aliens and pre-nuclear, you know, nuclear bomb testing yeah. hold like, some let, weight in the sense. Let's compare ourselves to God's nuclear test. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so I just, Pretty I always much. love that everything is based off of TNT. Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't have anything a little bit higher, but they have to get into like megatons worthy. It's once they crazy. once they named the uh, Nobel Prize after him, they're like, "Fine, we just got to stick with." T- I guess we just got to stick with TNT, <laughs> right? Um, later on, um, a Eugene Schumacher he estimated that um, this happens more often than we think. Um, it just obviously not as crazy. Eugene. <laughs> 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 So how, how, how often? <laughs> so not as often as we think, uh, and especially on this scale. Yeah. Um, he said roughly about um, every 300 years, probably a 200 kiloton event occurs uh, of similarity. Um, and, and then later on, they kind of diminish that a little bit, saying every thousand years. Um, yeah. So that's with pretty, something like this. That's, so. I was going to say, I, I heard pretty much the same thing where it's like, something to this you know to this degree only happens every about a thousand years so that that jives with what you're what you're saying here pretty much you said more recently though you'd be in like the kiloton range oh no more recently in like studies um because like later on they even talk about like like five kiloton airbursts happen about once once per year and Um, uh, is anybody going to talk about the more recent one that happened in the same area I am. Okay, all right. I'll leave that to you then. Yes. So, um, actually, that's my next thing in my notes. So, the <laughs> uh, the largest asteroid airburst to be observed with modern instrumentation was the 500 kiloton um, Chil- <coughs> excuse me, Chilobinsk meteor in 2013, um, which shattered a bunch of windows and obviously was very big um on youtube and the news and whatnot yeah. i remember seeing the oh. videos the one that you can see from like a there's like a bunch of dash cam yeah it like it stuff. like turns it into daytime basically oh, sent a picture for like a yep. second yeah yeah I totally sent a picture that is crazy but so that was not even a, a megaton no that was yeah correct that was 500 kilotons god and like I don't know what the endo confirmed um, injured was, but some of the news reports said like over a thousand people were injured. Yeah, wow. and please don't let me forget, I do actually have a moral for this story, for the oh. end. A, a good, real, not a joke moral. So love that. I'm so excited. So th- like you know, kind of what helped out a lot of the studies of the Tunguska event actually came from that because. Basically, what they did is they just took what they learned from that scientifically and just, you know, times by however many that is. <laughs> sure. You know, so, or Damn. relative to what they think it was. So, I can um, see, and, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I can see like the descriptions that Greg, the quotes that Greg gave, right, where they're talking about like a pillar of light or a second sun makes complete sense. Looking mm-hmm. at that video, and that's 
a fraction of the size. Exactly. Well, and I think that's why, I mean, that's why, like, not why, but when Kulik showed up and they described what happened, of course he was like, yeah, that was a meteorite. Let's get out of here. You know, (laughs) what else would it be? Yeah, especially at that time. Um, yeah, and like what you, we kind of learn from a lot of these studies because everything is hypothesized, obviously, because mm. you know no one was there studying it yeah. when it was <laughs> happening. Um, so what they do is they actually try to mimic the results, um, either at some scale, not obviously at the same scale, but <laughs> um, at some scale to see in what compare it to. So. Um, one of the theories, um, and I guess stemming back, that was the earth impactor model, um, as if it were to hit the earth, that's kind of what it would have caused. So this one, this new theory, um, actually came out in 2020. So this year, and it's called the glancing impact hypothesis. And basically what these Russian scientists did was they, um, they basically tested like different, um, asteroids with different material and had them like at different diameters and all these different variables and whatnot and tested it in a system to see what would cause a very similar result with all the trees knocked down no crater and whatnot um and actually came up with the the model um that the ast- it was actually an iron asteroid and this is kind of where it kind of stems to that um asteroid comet uh, discussion too. It was an iron asteroid up to 200 meters in diameter traveling at 11.2 kilometers per second. So, which is b- roughly seven miles per second. Um, and that glanced off of the Earth's atmosphere and then returned into the orbit. So that's like out of all their results um, of like all their tests and whatnot, they said that was the closest they could get. That phrase, glance off the earth, is just too big to even process. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, not well, that, like, we're not well, skipping rocks on a pond here, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Plus, you have to remember, too, like, you know, 200 meters in diameter. I assume that's at some point in the atmosphere. That's not, like, in space. So you have to imagine it's bigger in space and it's getting through. Um, but, yeah really weird how that would cause like an air burst or just so much energy downward to cause that. Yeah. I mean that, that totally, you know, makes me understand that whole argument between, you know, asteroid versus comet thing. Cause co- comets contain a lot more ice, right? Correct. That's, 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 yes. that's, that's the whole distinction. Ice, yeah. That's the distinction. And, um, and, and, uh, I know that, what I had mentioned before, the atmospheric anomalies in Europe kind of tended to indicate some kind of ice in the atmosphere based on the, you know, what they had seen. Um, For sure. Like and that's where, like, deal. the comet, that's yeah, where the comet that, theory comes in later, exactly. too. So, like, um, it's kind of jumping ahead, like, you know, getting to the asteroid and comet debate, going back and forth. Um but, like, when it goes back to, like, the, the blast pattern, um, mm-hmm. it's funny because what they compare it to um, at some point as well is it's called Operation Blowdown. Okay. <laughs> and it's, uh, it was this what? test they were doing in Australia. 
1963, basically they just, you know, had a shit ton of TNT and put it into the forest and wanted to see what the effects of a nuclear weapon would have on, um, like, a tropical rainforest environment. So you just in, like, what, like, the Northern Territories or something like that? Like, way northern Australia where there's nobody? Um, it says Cape York Peninsula. Cape York. So, yeah, North that's, Queensland. That's not, that, I was going to say, that's, like, way up there, like, towards, uh, towards the islands north of there, right? So... I love so, yeah. how they're just like, let's just destroy a forest to see what happens. Well, it's, it's Australia. Yeah. Nobody cares. It's, it's 19, the 60s. It's the, it's the 1960s. It, yeah. Different time. For but, sure. But they, like, experiments, especially during then, too, they got, like, they, they were trying to get super in-depth of trying to narrow down exactly what happened, mm. where um, with the glancing um, pattern theory... Um, they say the asteroid had an approach at an angle of roughly 30 degrees from the ground and came in 115 degrees from the north, which is crazy to me that, like, you know, they're just, like, measuring the blast pattern and, like, oh, yeah, it came from that way. <laughs> at this angle, at this angle, it's like... It's like yeah, what college it. class taught you how to forensic science of meteorite, you know? <laughs> well, it's probably just simple geometry, but, like, yeah. you know, dumb us don't even realize it, you know? <laughs> That's like one of those moments of like, you know, fifth grade you is like, when am I ever going to use this? It's like, well, <laughs> the Tagasco event. That's when. <laughs> A Paul, real quick. Yes. I'm sorry. Did you say this was theoretically 200 meters in diameter? Um, out of that 2020 study, yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's for later. Okay. Damn. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, all still theorize bigger, smaller. No one knows. But, um. At this point, out of the studies and the eyewitness accounts, like Greg, you were saying, yeah. what do you think it is? Asteroid or comet? Personally, I think, um, I mean, comets still contain most of the same things that asteroids do, right? <laughs> well, like, comets are mainly, I'm, I'm glad I, you I, asked. I understand, like, main, oh, they're, I'd like, look it up myself. Like, like, com like comets are mainly ice, right? But uh, the same correct. constituent materials, you mean? Just, like, I same kind of palette I, I guess the question comets are based uh, this is out of live science comets are dirty space snowballs of mostly ice and dust <laughs> okay all right where well, asteroids are are rocky and airless um so that's where you get like the iron and like nickel stuff yeah so. i guess the question i have is that do asteroids necessarily not contain ice they because would have to have water but like yeah you know, I don't think anything necessitates that they wouldn't. No. Okay, all right. I mean, you well, could have a mix of the both, but you know, at some point they label one as a comet, one as yeah, an asteroid, based just, off the majority of what it is. Based on the atmospheric kind of observations of people in you know, Europe and as far Eastern Europe as they were able to observe, then um, the fact that they observed things that were like indicative of a you know, ice dust in in the atmosphere. Um, like the same thing that they figured out later with the, uh, the space shuttles that I mentioned. Um, that leads me to believe that it was potentially a an asteroid that at least had some kind of ice in it, you know? Like there was some sort of ice component. For sure. Um, you know, 
I would I would lean towards more towards that than I would towards in uh, a comet, you know, where it was mostly ice. Because I feel like if it was mostly ice, there wouldn't be any kind of really appreciable force, you know, detritus that made its way onto the ground that was able to be observed later, you know, which is something that's been a part of this episode, you know. You know, I'm sorry to bring this up now. Hmm. Something I saw when I was reading that I just, I guess I didn't really find a good place to put it in my section was that the, all the stuff that it kicked up into the atmosphere was bright enough, or, <clears throat> sorry, not bright enough, but I did see that as far as like Sweden, even though, you know, it's pretty close to Russia, but as far as, as, far, as far away as Sweden, it was bright enough at night because of how much had been kicked up into the atmosphere that they could take photographs at night without a flash. Nice. I saw the same thing. I want to see one of those photographs. Well, we all read the same thing, Greg. <laughs> I also was not able to... Wait a second. <laughs> um, I also was not able to locate any photographs, though. So True. Even though that was claimed, I did not see any photographs in my research. When, when did this happen again? 08. 1908. Yeah. What did we talk about photos back then? Really crappy, really crappy nonetheless. Yeah, mm. they did suck. So, they were basically still daguerreotypes at that time. Yeah, yeah. You know what's the point? <laughs> at some sense, but but yeah, you guys are both kind of right when it comes to the comet stuff. A lot of that comes off of like the eyewitness accounts, um, of like basically everyone saw this kind of flashing light in um, the sky. Now that doesn't necessarily like cut out asteroids. Um, but it does kind of allude to, like, you know, when you see a, you know, shooting star or comet like that, you know, the bits and pieces falling off, that's mainly comets that you're seeing. Mm. Um, now. Oh. Now, um, <laughs> so I'm going to butcher his name. Zdenek uh, Zakanina published a paper <laughs> criticizing the comet hypothesis. He pointed out that. A body composed of cometary material traveling through the atmosphere along such a shallow trajectory um, that it should have disintegrated, which which does make sense. Like, you know, yeah. especially if something of that size, it should have disintegrated for the most part. And the fact that if it would have disintegrated that much, you know, the likelihood of it causing such a large explosion is pretty crazy. So that does hold some weight. Um in that sense and also the fact that they did find you know dense rocky material um with the nickel with all the iron and stuff like that too leading more to like the asteroid theory um and then also kind of going off that 2020 study comparing it to the iron asteroid and then also um the chilobinsk uh meteor in 2019 yeah. But what kind of debunks him a little bit when it comes to asteroids, and I think this kind of goes back to the glancing theory, is that if this giant stony object is coming at the Earth, why, again, is there no crater? Yeah. Or that there is no at least, like, centralized, like, piece of material stuck in the ground somewhere. Well, you know? do I have a treat for you? Oh, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Let's hear it. 
No, Paul's it's, not it's done at section. all. I've got, yeah, sorry. I've got like two more things. <laughs> um, and then, um, do, do, do. And the trees and the bog and the bog. And sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have to just reread this, make sure I know what I'm talking about here. It's giving me time to look up the actual lyrics of that song. <laughs> so, um, in 1993, Christopher Chiba and others proposed a process where a stony meteorite could have exhibited the behavior of the T- Tunguska impactor. Um, their models show that when the forces opposing a body's descent become greater than the cohesive force holding together, it, it blows apart. So that, that's some crazy words there. So basically saying the energy of the earth, um, as this meteor is coming in, opposed it so much that it just blew up in the air. Um, kind of like the disintegration theory, rather than bits and pieces falling off, it just came to a point where there's so much like external energy on it that it just blew up. Um, and basically releasing all of its energy at once, uh, again, rather than breaking off and, and separating itself. There again, alluding to the airburst theory and also no crater. And basically all of that energy just went straight down because that's the momentum of it, it, causing the same results. So, um, and then they go on to some other... Theories all kind of alluding to like the same thing uh, of that airburst theory. Again, they kind of mimic it all to that. But one of the crazier hypotheses um, out of science. So, and th- this is the geophysical hypothesis. Mm. Um, an astrophysicist named Wolfgang. He Wolfgang what? That, uh, just Wolfgang for now. <laughs> um, <laughs> that the event... <laughs> was caused by the release and subsequent explosion of 10 million tons of natural gas from within the Earth's crust. Wow. So, I know. A- again, stemming back to that old uh, Gates of Hell <laughs> uh, yes. natural gas uh, episode. But the basic idea is that the natural gas leaked out of the crust and then r- apparently rose to its equal like density height. So basically where it could just like kind of sit in the atmosphere. And then from there, it just drifted down and it, and caused some, like, I don't know if lightning hit it or whatever, like some ignition, and then basically caused it to explode um, outwards. Mm-hmm. Obviously kind of more of a hotshot answer. but a fringe um, theory. Yeah, like a little hard to believe, but um, apparently science says so. But yes, so... Dan, if you want to, not to cut you off from earlier, but if you want to theorize theorize why we have no crater. The bird on the egg and the egg and the bird and the bird and the nest and the nest and the limb and the limb on the branch and the branch on the tree and the tree and the hole and the hole and the bog and the bog down in the valley. Thanks. That's his entire section. That's it. it. Time for the draft. (laughs) So my section is short. It's just like a, pretty much just a little sort of cherry on top. Um, If you're into sort of like the forensic side of it, like some of the, you know, some of the ways that 
researchers over the years would be sort of looking at the landscape to try and figure out what went on, this will be sort of an interesting anecdote. Um, so some of the more recent research, in June 2007, scientists um, identified a lake in the Tunguska region as a possible impact crater for the event, which at this point, almost 80 years, you know, that has been like a central question is like, well, where is the impact crater if there is one? Um, these scientists don't dispute that the Tunguska body exploded in midair, so they don't sort of dispute the, uh, what do you call it, air? The air burst? Air burst. They don't dispute that, but what they think is that a sort of 30-foot fragment survived that burst and, you know, flew out and struck the ground. And their theory is that this lake, Lake Checo, is actually the crater made by that 30-foot piece of um, comet asteroid body. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, the lake is about five miles away from the where the airburst was, so that's kind of intense too. That it flew another, that it would have flown another five miles after the airburst. Um, so, the this hypothesis though has of course been disputed. And like in, it's and it's been looked at before. So like back in 1961, an investigation had pretty much dismissed. Um, the idea of Lake Checo as a crater, as, as an impact crater, um, because of, like, silt deposits on the lake bed, suggesting that the lake was over 5,000 years old, right? So, like, if, it, if, if that's there, that's done, right? That's way older than this incident. But this newer research suggests that um, the sediment layer on the lake bed is actually normal, uh, and more consistent with an age of about a hundred years, which sort of flips it back and makes you think, Oh, the lake is only a hundred years old, which would perfectly coincide with it being made, uh, you know, during the event. Right. So they say so they do some more tests on it over the years. Um, they do like some echo measurements, right. Underwater, um, to like, I guess maybe sonar. Yeah. That would be to basically yeah. map out the shape of the lake. And it's actually like a, a really almost oh, perfect like a cone thing. shape. Interesting. Yeah. So like, think about it. You take a rock and you throw it at the sand. If you're on the beach, it makes like a cone shape in the sand. Right. Yeah. So they're like, okay, maybe we got to continue to take this more seriously. Um, they also took some, like, magnetic readings of the area, which uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> and they found a, a meter-sized chunk of rock with metal in it um, below the lake's deepest point. So, like, right beyond the tip of that cone into the dirt a little bit more, they found a huge rock. Wow. So they're like, okay, maybe that's... Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what's left of the, this big old fragment that shot off of the asteroid. Um, so they're still trying to figure out. In 2017, however, some other Russian scientists 
sort of rejected that theory and rejected wholesale that Lake Checo was created by the Tunguska event. Um, they used more of that difficult to understand soil research, um, but they <laughs> aged, <laughs> they aged the lake at like 280 years old. So okay. clearly nobody old, really yeah. understands this whole soil thing. If three different estimates pin it at 100 years, 280 years and 5,000 years, right? Yeah. So, kind of a kind of a coin flip basically um but they also you know how you can like kind of dig down and and you can see the layers of rock and and you know like how old those layers are so like what was kind of happening yeah so they did that of course um at the bottom of the lake and i guess just based on where they found a bunch of radioactivity from like the czar bomba test was actually like right down the road pretty much um not literally but it was close yeah, yeah. <laughs> siberia. Fa- old siberia lane it's a, it's <laughs> a small place <laughs> they they found like a, a large amount of radioactivity in one of the layers and they were like okay well based on again who the hell knows they determined that it's the lake is not the lake was there before the event that's a bummer yeah, I don't know, but I I kind of dug it just because it was like, you know, we talk about like what these researchers did, sort of fifty thousand feet up. But I liked this story a little bit because it got into some of those confusing details. Great. Yeah. So, I I'm kind of with you guys. I, Comet feels right with the ice thing and the no impact thing and the. So individually, what do you guys think happened? Comet. Airburst, ice tower. Paul, um, I like the glancing theory. Ooh, just because it, it just sounds cool that that thing went straight back into the atmosphere or to the space. That's okay. true. Um, I think it. I think it was an asteroid, though. Um, but yeah, I agree. I I think it was an asteroid that had some sort of an airburst and some sort of. Oh, you like the airburst though, not the glancing. I agree. Hurricane trick. I yes, that's what I think. Kane. I guess <clears throat> I don't know if I missed anything from from the beginning of Paul's. Do we have any sort of like quantitative numbers on how much of this like magnetite and silicate they found? Because really. I feel like that would no. be what would change my what would decide. Because like if it was if there was a lot of it, but it was just like split up and spread out, I would say asteroid. I mean. I'm I'm saying airburst. I can't decide if it was a comet or an asteroid. I bet you it's I don't probably because oh you don't know because you want to know the um like yeah I think quantity. it depends how much metal was scattered you know yeah. my first reaction to that is like it's a lot of square miles to cover so I assume that's why they they don't know. And yeah. they probably couldn't make a prediction based on like a smaller area. God, I feel like they'd have to excavate like the entire zone. Right. Pretty much, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's apply What's the... for a Russian federal grant. <laughs> yeah. What's the lesson here, boys? What's the moral? I've got it. I'll take this one. <laughs> yeah. Stay away and from And what me. I. What... <laughs> Go ahead. Hmm? I was going to say, stay away from large Russian explosions. 
Yeah, as <laughs> if that's one thing over many episodes we could say. <laughs> um, what I want to say as a preface to the moral is there is a fantastic science fiction novel that the setup is something very similar to this, and in fact, the first chapter references the Tunguska event. Very worth the read. It's called Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke, the same author who wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, Excellent stuff. You've mentioned that before. And part of what that book talks about, that this event actually caused quite a bit of discussion about in the scientific community. I don't know if enough. I think maybe a little more attention needs to be paid to this. There should be some serious efforts to developing, like, meteorite detection systems to, you know, like, forecast way ahead of time when these things might hit us. Because if Paul was correct that the scientists were correct about 200 meters, the meteor that hit the Earth that killed all of the dinosaurs was only 50 times larger than the one that caused the Tunguska event. Something even 50 times larger would be enough to very likely kill everybody on the planet. Which sounds big, but in relation, really isn't that big. Yeah, exactly. It was about seven miles wide, which makes it sound big, but, you know, it would have to be, I think, 12 to immediately obliterate everybody on Earth. But, you know, you can't account for the long-withstanding effects of something that would that killed all of the dinosaurs. A lot of that might have just been, you know, the longer effects of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mini ice ages and such. Don't quote me on it, but I think we do, for the most part, try to a pretty to good detection system. Pretty good. Um, obviously, a few slip through the cracks, probably. Um, just because of all the, like, the statistics and stuff they get of other like meteors and like comets and whatnot. Um, I tried like doing a crazy quick research of like I they have ICBM detectors <laughs> basically to see if someone is launching missiles. Yeah. If those would be used for that, but uh, dummy me like they just use it really for satellites because mm. most of the, obviously the meteors that are coming to the earth if they hit a satellite, that's going to have a lot more effect than just being burned up in the atmosphere. Gotcha. Oh, right. So, so they're mainly detecting them for the satellites rather than giant ones that would split the Earth in half. Gotcha. Right. I wonder what kind of range that has, though, you know? That's uh, probably... Because I will much. say, obviously, not feasible right now, but in this novel I was talking about, basically a, a large part of humanity was wiped out in, like, the 60s or, say, you know, whatever fucking year. I don't care. Um when something about the size of the Tunguska, but a little bit larger, hit, like, Lake Geneva, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was devastating. And they ended up setting up a detection array on Mars Ah. to extend the range of how far out we could detect these things. But, you know, that's science fiction, so. Yeah. Well, for now. All right. Well, shall we move into the draft? I think so. If it was not mentioned earlier in the episode, our draft today is going to be scariest, correct? Predators? Mm -hmm. Yes. Deadliest. It's all synonymous. Deadliest slash scariest predators. (laughs) I will say, my list, if I get all of my picks, each one is for a different type of scary, and I'll explain. Just wanted to say that. 
All right, well, I'm starting from my scariest. My number one. Scariest predator on the planet is... Da -da 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 -da. Humans. Boo. Boo. <laughs> really, really lame answer, but um, I think really needed to be said. But I, true. I, I knew that if I did yeah. not say it, somebody else would. Um, humans are truly. I knew that somebody was going to say it and prepare to boo. I'm not yeah, kidding. Yeah, that's fine. I blew yeah. out my mic. You with know, that boo. I, I, I totally expected it, but we're we are truly the apex, apex predator. There is no facts. There is Greg, um, Greg Anderson is the apex predator. <laughs> of the world. I am. I the am apex. the apex predator. No, yeah. no um, by no means am I claiming that for myself, but um, yeah, no. Obviously, humans are the number one apex predator, and I'd be foolish not to say that as my number one. Fair um, enough. For my first pick, scariest predators, Jared Fogel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, right. that was, uh, that's not my first pick. Uh, my my first pick, and for this pick, I will choose. This would be the scariest thing to be predated by, and I'm going to say an orca, because if I was like a penguin or a seal, and they were doing those fucking mind tricks where they like tip the ice, or you know, like the iceberg up, and you fall into the other one's mouth. I don't like being played with, you know. <laughs> that would suck. And they can come from anywhere. For sure. They'll get you on like, the land or the water. Some, like, wicked tactics when it comes yeah, to it. Yeah, they're smart and scary. And they like, should be in SeaWorld. They'll, like, slap the shit out of you or something? I don't know if... I don't know if you guys are going to, like, shift gear here at all, but I just went for straight mythic proportions... With my predators, okay, not uh, mythic because right. they existed, but okay, I was that's good. Say. That's good. Yeah, but my Cerebrus. my number one pick will <laughs> it will be pretty um, indicative of like, All right. the rest. Looking forward to it. So who's next? My I'm just joking. Signing off. What's up, Dan? <laughs> What's your scariest? I got nothing now. No, um, the Megalodon. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I'll yeah, say it. Okay. I mean, that, yeah. I'll take that. I actually just watched the Meg the other day. So, mm. is that Statham? Is Jason Statham in that? Yeah. Interesting. Extinct. The Meg. Two and a half million years ago, could attain lengths of up to 60 feet. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, no. Yeah. Big old, Paul. big old shark. Mega shark. Okay. My number one from personal experience is the grizzly bear oh okay well you got to tell you one of those stories at least yes yeah, so our well one of our jink town friends um <laughs> not all of them but um we were actually hiking what, up what is what you, is jank town you think hannah would it would have gotten oh. out of that situation alive no <laughs> <laughs> not at all <laughs> um but uh, we were up in Glacier National Park, just hiking along. We're actually going back to the car. But, I mean, we were seven miles out, so it was quite a ways. Um, and then all, all of a sudden, the two people with in front of me, they yell bear and then run past me. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I see this grizzly bear 
Um, the cub running up the hill, grizzly bear coming running straight at me. And obviously scared for my life, I uh, <laughs> pull up my gun to protect myself. Um, thankfully didn't have to use it. It, it. We were just standing there eye to eye for what felt like forever. Um, probably, I don't know, 25 yards away. <laughs> um, and thankfully it just ran off and we never saw that one again. But then not even like an hour, hour and a half later, saw another grizzly bear walk up on the trail. Thankfully didn't charge at us. Um, just kind of like looked at us and, and walked off. But, but, oh my God, I've never been like more, <laughs> like if you ever get to like the point where you're so scared, you just start laughing. <laughs> that like your life is just like so small in that moment of like man that thing could have easily just like killed me <laughs> what, what, what kind of gun did you have uh just my 10 mil pistol how many rounds do you think it would take to down a grizzly bear with that two to three a lucky one i don't know uh <laughs> yeah i was gonna say one, one to the cranium with the 10 mil how's your how's your shot placement when you're scared well, and that's my thing. That's where, like, yeah. everyone's very much big on, like, oh, you know, just get, like, a forty four Magnum or something, like, a six-round yeah. um, revolver. But exactly, yeah, exactly what you're <laughs> yeah. doing there. It's, like, I'd rather have more rounds and, like, paralyze the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, or, I you think know, you're safe. your safest bet is having a fully automatic weapon, which you should have responsibly as a hiker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe not, but... Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps an M60... That- or a saw, <laughs> if you could get your hands on it. I, I will say that 10 millimeter, that's a good round to have to, to protect yourself against a bear. That's about pretty much about the best you could possibly hope for in a pistol caliber. Maybe um, 357 SIG might be better, ballistically wise, but like 10 millimeter. All right, Lee Harvey it, Oswald, it. why don't you tell us your next pick? I think if you're going well, all, all right. the way, you might as well, well just hike I, with well, an RPG. Are we doing snake draft? Oh, we are, we are. I'm sorry. We are snaking. You're right. Yeah. Yes. But to finish up that story, the people I were with were so scared that you could tell that it got to the point where I had to, like, grab the, like, bear spray because we did have some of that, too, and re-safety that because um, we were downwind as well. So thank God mm. she didn't actually use it. Um, which, you know, rightfully so if she did, like we're all scared shitless, but, uh, that would have been a nasty day yeah, or yeah, nasty yeah. seven mile hike out after macing yourself. Yeah. No, but <laughs> yeah. There. especially, especially Not, running into the second bear. Correct. You know, <laughs> yeah. blind. Nobody's, um, pre- nobody's ever prepared for the second bear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, but my number two, um, Dan, I'm going to say it, but it's a normal shark. I'm going to say a great white shark. Nice. Um, and I stem that like just off of, you know, kind of stem into yours, Kane, too, of sea creatures alone scare the shit out of me because you have no freaking clue. You were just so helpless in the water. If you're in the Th- middle of the ocean. Three of my four picks are sea creatures. <laughs> okay, perfect. Like, I think that just has the biggest factor and the fact that, like, you know, you can't do anything, you know. Like, I could run away from the bear, but I'm not going to swim away from a shark. <laughs> that, that's Especially in the middle of the ocean or something like that. That's impossible. But So, Dan, what's your uh, number two? My number two is hel- Helicoprion. And I'm just, 
I'm just going to share my screen real quick so you guys can get a glimpse because this is impossible to describe. I was going to look it up. Oh, I've seen that. I saw this the other day, actually. If you could imagine. <laughs> Scary looking. Yeah, Kane, sure. why, don't you, why don't you take this one? <laughs> if you could imagine Imagine 90% of a shark and then 10% uh, the fractals you looked at in math class. <laughs> That's kind of what we got going on here. The bottom jaw for this shark is like a curled up whip with razor blades on it. If, if H.P. Lovecraft and Dr. Seuss joined forces <laughs> to create a creature, that you'd have this. this. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah. Dan, that's terrifying. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Kane, you're next, right? Oh, that's right. So my next one is scariest in terms of this is like the aneurysm of predation, basically. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I'm going with the Portuguese man of war. Oh, Fair enough. Nice. Because um, that can just, they don't move. They just bend at the whim of the wind and the water. That was fun to say. The wind. Um, <laughs> and the trees yeah. and the bug. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Um, you could just be swimming in water, and then a wave could just push this thing into you, and then you'd get like neurotoxined and drown, which would suck. Yep. You mean like stunned? Yeah. Uh, and well, they, it's a poison. And it is. Yeah, and then you just drown and then die. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't even really it, know what was going on. Just, they also, I mean, they look like aliens. Please, actually, yeah. Let's throw let's throw a picture of specifically that in the Instagram post if we could. All right, we'll do. Yeah, like uh, I always hate the idea of like a swarm. No, I, I want to say a I, swarm, but like a ton of them. Yeah, I guess I should say for any everybody seemed to know what I was talking about. If you've never heard of these, they're like they they're not technically jellyfish, but they look a hell of a lot like jellyfish, mm. basically. Yeah. For the, the for the for for the layman's turn, you know. They're jellyfish for the layman. But, but instead of in the water, they have like a sack that sits above the water. Yeah. Like a zeppelin that holds them up, basically. Very easy uh, to run into. zeppelin, huh? Yeah. Okay. All right, Greg, you get two picks in a row here. All right. My number two is going to be the Komodo dragon. Nice. Good. Ooh, good choice. That's a good one. I don't know if you've ever seen like videos of Komodo dragons hunting, uh, but they can hunt things as large as my understanding, like, like a small cow. Is about the, the good lord. Yeah, no Holy things cow. much like Komodo dragons. Are like the upper limit of their weight is about 150 pounds. So you know, about the size of your average size man, but um, can take down things much larger. And uh, I watched a video earlier today of a Komodo dragon just eating a bull alive. Can they get pretty like, fast? Rip, ripping pieces off of its face. Can they run pretty fast? More so than you would expect for a large lizard. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a sprinter, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they got short pretty, distance, but they got chunky legs that are very muscular. I, I can't imagine they have a whole lot of endurance, but just the the idea yeah, that I, something that is man sized could take down something like bull sized. Yeah, and, I guess they probably and, run like, as fast rip as they like can. Rip off chunks of it while it's living is is well, very terrifying to me. Poisonous too, aren't they? That is correct. They there's some some, their saliva poison? is poisonous. It's a neurotoxin, is my understanding. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. So I that is that is why. I'm, Komodo Dragon is my second pick. My third pick is going to go ahead and be chimps. Okay, sure. Mm. They they get violent mm. as fuck. They get just ask Joe Rogan. Insi- yeah, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's pretty much my point. It's it's not so much a risk of being eaten kind of thing, uh, as much as it is uh, just a 
level of barbarity. Because if, yeah, you, if you've ever seen off, if you've ever seen videos of chimps eating monkeys, um, both of those they be, do what they do. Yeah, the, chimps will eat monkeys, smaller. That's monkeys. That's crazy. Because uh, mon- monkeys and chimps are are separate things. Uh, they evolved yeah. from common ancestors, of course, and they're both uh, you know primates. But um, seeing something that is so humanoid rip apart something that is also so humanoid and eat it alive, you know, and mm. just like tear it to shreds is utterly terrifying to me. And that is why I, I you know, kind of place them at this point in my, in my list of predators. Cause it's just like, it's a little too close to home, you know, like, it's like, there's plenty of things that I could run into that could kill me, <laughs> you know, much, much, much more frequently than, than this. But it's just like, watching something like that predate the way that it does mm-hmm. strikes me in a very profound way. Sure. Like seeing the living arm ripped off of something that looks like me oh, <laughs> just yeah. to get eaten, you know, it's Good terrifying. Point. For my third pick, and this, this one is uh, the thing I would least like to be chased by. Okay. So I would like to paint a little picture. If you could imagine that you are in the jungle and it is about 6.30, 7 p.m. Uh, the sun is mostly set, but there is some light. But, you know, you've also, you're, you're dealing with the canopy. There's even less light. And a black panther oh, is following you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, no. Because not only is being chased by one of the large cats, I mean, you're pretty much toast. Not being able to see it. I mean, that's like the movie The Predator. If yeah. it's coming at you at night, you know, it, yeah. it's basically invisible. Yeah, that's terrifying. You know, I don't know if that steals my next pick or not. Because I was going to list pumas or mountain lions, and I'm going to go ahead and say that. Perhaps. I mean, those are pretty much the same thing. Big cat. It is pretty. I mean, it's being chased by a cat. Yeah. Yeah. Being chased <laughs> by a big cat. Like a cat. Yep. You're, yeah. you're, you're bringing close to one of those. Like I, I haven't never in, in any sort of wild situation to the, you know, I started tracking a mountain lion once when I was like the fourth or fifth grade. That's had, a bad idea. That's a bad idea. I fourth did have you can never track a mountain lion guy. I did. I they did track a, you. I did have a shotgun. <laughs> I did have a shotgun with me, but I was just like, what do you think? I trust the, a fourth grader with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Uh, what are they doing over in Reno? <laughs> that here kid um, take this <laughs> shotgun in case we find any mountain lions uh yeah no, okay no, dad <laughs> no joke that's pretty much how that's pretty much how the conversation went yeah um, that's dumb as fuck <laughs> question okay so i knew gun safety I, you know but anyway um up? i did have a shotgun with me and well, we were up there we were literally up there to hunt rabbits so that we could make rabbits do that was what we were going for um so with a I, shotgun yeah well you can shoot ra- you can pretty easily shoot a rabbit with a shotgun but anyway, oh, okay i would um, hope so but. yeah if you're a decent shot but anyway the, the point was that we were heading up into the hills and my friend and i both had shotguns and you know just in case we were, we were, we were looking for rabbits die. and we were you know not having a whole lot of luck we were heading up a ridge and towards the top of the ridge my friend started to notice some very large footprints and I started taking a closer look at this footprints. I was like, after about five minutes, I was like, 
these are these are a lot bigger than any other footprints I've ever seen. These are these are probably mountain lion prints. <laughs> yeah. These are bigger yeah. than my dad's. Yeah, I was just like, and he's like, "You're kind of right." And I'm like, "We should probably turn around if we're if we're tracking a mountain hmm. lion, we're gonna die." Like we should you said go you home. Did track. <laughs> we didn't Dan- track it all the way to the point where we saw the mountain lion, but we we're just like, uh, we we got pretty far, and we're like, we need to turn around now. Because I guarantee that if we were able to see its footprints, that thing was sitting on top of a ridge looking down at us. Toast. Yeah. So my third pick is something called the Gigantopithecus. (laughs) I can't. I thought... I guess I really just thought your first one was going to (laughs) be something old. Okay. It doesn't stop. So it's the largest ape that ever existed, standing over 10 feet and weighing nearly 1,200 pounds. Oh, God. Strong jaws with heavy enamel and wide, flat teeth suitable for grinding up their unfortunate prey. While most of these creatures walked on all fours, some of them were sometimes bipedal. I've officially been one-upped. Oh, yeah, you said monkeys. Yeah, I said chimps. Yeah, that's that's the ultimate chimp. Jesus I just looked Christ, up a man. photo of one of them. Like, obviously, it's a it's not a photo. Excuse me, it's an <laughs> illustration. Excuse me, artist's rendering <laughs> uh, of one chasing down a tiger. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, how crazy is that? She's probably any, a saber tooth. Anything that can time. chase down a tiger is terrifying to me. Jesus Christ, man. Baudu. So my number three before. Uh, I guess Greg kind of spoiled it as a mountain lion. Um, (laughs) Whoops. But, yeah, um, just by the fact that it can, you know, you can be walking along and have no freaking idea it's there, and then it just fucking jumps out and murders the shit out of you. But I will say there are a lot of, like, pretty harrowing stories of, like, people either choking out or, like, fighting mountain lions and surviving and winning. Yeah, with like no weapons, no nothing, just like bare I think, hands. I think that's really a testament to just their size, um, just because they're they're not they're not so big that you can't take them on as a human, uh, but you're much more you're very likely to be surprised by one, and if you're not prepared for that and you're not prepared to deal with this, you know the they'll get you. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's like something like mountain lions have only killed like twenty people in the United States in the entire history of the United States. And that, you know, that may be a good number of people, and it's drastically more than a coyote. Like, <laughs> like one, Small, one, huh? one single person ever has been killed by a coyote in the United States, and it was somebody who was, like, 12. Should have had a Should have armed that kid with a yeah, shotgun, Yeah, should have huh? given him a shotgun, huh? Exactly, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, like, something like a mountain lion. Mountain lions are very terrifying oh, just fuck. based on how sneaky they are. But as far as a survival standpoint, like look at that <laughs> second photo, yeah, like dude. that thing's staring you down, and you think you have a chance. No look way. Look at the no shoulders the on that there? thing. Oh, man. Yeah, okay. No way. Now I'll admit there are like smaller ones too. And I don't know if that's like a regional thing, or like a it time is. of year thing, maybe. It, but I think it absolutely is regional, and because uh, I just I just know that like you know based on how much food, uh, you're, food you're getting and stuff like that, because like like mountain lions have been spotted even like Des Moines. I'm sorry. Could we? I don't mean to be rude, Greg. I feel like you could fill half an hour talking about mountain lions. <laughs> All right, we can move on. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, your fourth, fourth pick. 
Now, this is going to be a crazy one. Kangaroo. Oh. Oh, my God. I was not expecting this. <laughs> so are they, are they even a predator? Well, hear me out here, guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, just by the fact that they can punch the shit out of you. True. Like, they're True. like, um, I don't know if you remember that one video of like, oh, the yeah, kangaroo's like oh, literally yeah, choking out the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. the guy squares up. I think that's like crazy, like kind of awesome, but also like scary as fuck. Yeah. I wouldn't do um, that. Yeah. Because <laughs> like not only would they like like punch the shit out of you but they kick the shit out of you yeah i mean they fucking jump like meters at a time it's crazy if, yeah, and yeah. i will say if you've never seen a kangaroo fight it's kind of incredible how they like when they want to kick yeah. they'll lean back on their tail and their tail will hold them up yeah. while they kick yeah yeah it's like a rechargeable very drop kick they're just ready to go yeah. once they unleash it they're very yep. impressive it's their so. ultimate yeah, not necessarily predator deadly or scary for the most part. Uh, but I'm scared. Kind of, kind of cool. All right. Well, Dan, what mythical creature do you have for us today? <laughs> Titanoboa. Titana what? Titanoboa. Right. After the extinction of the dinosaurs, another huge reptile gained foothold. All right, let's um, hear it. Growing to lengths of 42 feet. Oh, good Lord. The Titanoboa was the largest snake that ever lived. Starred in the second Harry Potter movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Breakout show, show of hands here on the Armchair Adventure podcast. How many of you have been bitten by snakes before? <laughs> Only one? How many are, is anybody here afraid of snakes? Generally. I'm not. I try to uh, avoid them. I'm afraid of things that like jump out at you. Like if you well, don't see you, it coming, we, you know, there's a difference between encountering a snake in the wild and then like, could you? Were you guys uneased picking up a uh, Janktown snake at all? No, that one was fine. I was more uneased by the the mice in the freezer. Oh yeah, yeah, that was okay. definitely my thing. Uh, yeah, that was like, well, that's hey, if no that's what makes you more uneasy, you're not afraid of snakes. No, you're not. But okay. No, I'm certainly not. I, I'm afraid of poisonous snakes, but other than that, yeah, that's well. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't just be like, "Oh, look at that snake!" If I saw a snake on the ground, you yeah, know, no, outside, I'd, I'd probably yeah. shoot it. Unless, <laughs> but, unless it was like a little like garter snake or something. Yeah, but. yeah, no, but like, I mean, the snake I got bit by was over four feet long, and I got oh, wow, bit like big. fourteen times in a single day by that fucking snake. Trying to measure what it, the length of the snake. <laughs> 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 it, 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 was a, it was a bull snake. So, like, bull snakes are really cool because they, like, they eat rattlesnakes, which is badass. But, like, yeah. they're also just <laughs> as big as rattlesnakes. They're just not venomous. Well, so they're, they're they're fang, their fangs are just as long. And I got bit, like, like I said, 14 times in a single day by that fucking snake. They actually introduced them on base to get rid of rattlesnakes. That's smart. That's but really smart. It is smart. So, like, obviously people are going to die like die less in a sense or have to go to yeah, hospital less. But, but you're going to run into snakes a lot more. scary as fuck to see one of those. Yeah. Because they're quick, yeah. too. Yeah, they're they are. They're slow. No, they're they're, they are very smart snakes. I mean, you have to be to fight rattlesnakes. But anyway, yeah. No, bull snakes, <laughs> no fun. Don't recommend getting bit. My final pick, four. my final pick, and I'd like to talk about this for a second, if we may. All right. 
because this is the category where it is the scariest looking. And that may be a personal choice, but I think everybody would agree that this is a very scary looking animal. Okay. And you may not know it by name. You may never even have seen it. But it is the big fin squid. Ooh. Now, also called the long arm squid, uh, because I, I want to get into that. It may or may not also be called the long arm squid, but what this is, you may have seen a video from a oh, yeah. camera on an oil rig that saw one of these things where it's got kind of a... Straight-up alien. It looks like a fucking alien. It has a flapping head and then it a small body leading to basically 90 degrees out to some bones, presumably, or some sort of hard tissue. <laughs> and then it's got draping across that probably like nine or ten yeah. tentacles that are about 30 feet long. Yeah. And they just kind of drift in the very deep parts of the ocean. And the reason there's contention about whether they are the big fin or the long arm is because we, there is a species we know of called the big fin squid that we have only found like, like less than five of them ever and only in the like infancy and very young stages. We have never found an adult. That footage of that thing on the oil rig is something we have never seen before, and we can basically only assume that it is the big fin squid because it bears kind of a resemblance. Oh. But we don't actually know what animal that was. Wow. Crazy. <clears throat> but I, I would to, say I with... the pictures, and yes, alien is absolutely the word I would use to describe it. It is one of the scariest-looking things I've ever seen, just in how unnatural it looks. It doesn't look like menacing. Well, yeah, it does look menacing. Yeah. It does, frankly, to yeah. me at least. I agree. Now, if it... If it moved quickly, it'd probably be the scariest thing ever. Right, but it is just kind of floating at like the bo- the you know bottom of the ocean, and we don't actually know how it predates. It it could either just like catch things in its tentacles, or it could like brush them ag- against the sea floor and just pick up anything that's on the sea floor, and just bring it up to its beak mouth. I guess. Yeah. Horrifyingly so enough. Crazy looking. Now, Greg, or was that, no, Greg, do you still have a pick? Okay. I've got backups, too, but I will say my last my last one here will have to be, so it's an easy pick, but wolves. Mm. Okay. Just based on the, like, the, the thing that really drives that home for me is that today I watched a video of somebody driving in their car, going about 30 miles an hour, getting overtaken by a large black wolf. God. And then catching up to another large black wolf that was also going about the same speed. Just the the sheer endurance of wolves really terrifies me. The fact that mm. no matter how fast I run, no matter how far I go, that wolf will it'll get you outrun me, and it will kill me. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. It's just like. Wolves to me, like the the idea of being taken down by a wolf pack, like like mm. the, the 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 group, like the group structure of wolves is really what terrifies me more than anything. Like the you know gray, I mean? yeah, like gray wolves. The, the gray, the movie. Yeah, oh, I, no, I wasn't. I haven't seen, but um, dances with wolves. 
Same thing. Dances with Wolf. Same <laughs> thing. <laughs> correct. Any, yeah. Any Wolf movie. <laughs> but yeah, no, just like the the idea of being chased down by a group Twilight. of apex predators like that. Like there, there is a lot of apex predators out there, but there's not a ton of apex predators that hunt in packs. You know. Hashtag and, Team Jacob. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's our outro song here, Kane. I actually, I'm sorry, I'm taking executive action on that as well. All right, All right. the bog well, song. But yeah, no. But no, it's it, absolutely not. Not the rattling bog. It is not the rattling bog either. That's it. That's the um, song. Uh, it is an a nod to anybody that listens that has seen the movie Annihilation. All right. Including you, Dan. Never seen it. Yes, you have. Oh. Well, wolves are the end of my th- my spiel. So that leaves you guys. No, that's it. That no. It. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, that's the yeah. End. Nature of the snake draft. That's right. So, yep. Should we mention? Uh, and we got um, honorable mentions. Uh, spiders and anglerfish. Oh. Yeah, um, I'd say like the camel spider for sure. There's one that I really wish I mentioned. It's huge. And that was and the, that ca- the cassowary. The cassowary. Yeah. It's is scar- that like a part of a building? No, it's the scariest bird. I'm looking it up now. They're the, sec- oh, they're, the sec- they're the second heaviest bird. They're very violent, and they have killed humans. <laughs> <laughs> second heaviest bird. They're they're heavy. The heaviest is they're the dense. emu. I believe the heaviest is the emu, uh, but emus are relatively not violent dense. towards humans. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but cassowaries will will attack humans and have killed them. Um. And there are like people in Florida that keep them as pets, and like multiple people in Florida have been Just killed by cassowaries. Psycho looking bird, man. Yeah, no, cassowaries are terrifying. But um, other other honorable mentions of mine include bull sharks, just based on the uh, aggression that they um, display, uh, as well as wolverines, um, being able to take down things as large as moose, despite being very small, and uh, also colossal squid. Just based on yep size yeah but but those, those those tentacles beak squidiness. ink yeah no those are to me the scariest creature of the deep okay another one in the books we will finally be starting the transition to the format that we have promised for maybe months now talked about it um, <laughs> but it's finally finally happening i hope it won't be a disappointment i think it'll be fine it's kind of a foray away from our general topic or, you know, general field of topics, but we've been playing fast and loose with that a little bit anyway. So give it a shot. I uh, guess I'll ask, is there a preference on which one we start with? No. Should we just call it Rockefeller? Or do you want yeah. to do Vanderbilt first? I was going to say, just let's just talk about these... Uh start with Rockefeller. I think that's a, Rockefeller? I think that's a good place okay. to start. Any objections? No. Then here so forth, the episode ends. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.